What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 263 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can follow the podcast on our social pages on Twitter and Facebook, and you can listen to the program on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Great to be uh, back with you folks this week. Uh, to be perfectly honest, our guest Friday schedule is is in flux just a little bit. I hope to have something for you guys this week. Um, But if not, still kind of working with the schedule over the last uh, week and a half. So uh, we will figure something out and hopefully get something out to you folks this week. Um, But really looking forward to getting back on the program today. There's uh, plenty of of topics to get to. Uh, Plenty of Red Sox as they... uh, have gone into the All-Star break, All-Star break uh, playing some very good baseball. Uh, so we'll definitely get to them. We'll get to uh, some Celtics and Bruins, some Revolution, uh, Patriots, little Patriots stuff as we are approaching training camp. We're about two weeks away. Um, so I think got all types of uh, all types of things to get to today. Um, so I think we're going to start with the Red Sox. So, you know, as it's been uh, an interesting season, to say the least, uh, for the first half, you know, uh, 91 games. And I think we still don't really know what this team is. Um, you know, despite this team playing great baseball, you know, five straight wins, eight wins in nine games, you know, playing probably their best baseball that they've played all season going into the All-Star break, which... You know, that's the positive. And I think trying to find the positive with this team is the important part. And I think you've been getting great starting pitching from the guys who have been, you know, lucky enough to not be bit by the injury bug. You know, Bayo and Paxton have been awesome. You know, I think even some of your, you know, bullpen arms, your openers, your, you know, random guys here and there that have started games have done pretty well for you. You know, the bullpen has been great. You know, that's really been one of their, you know, really best parts of the team through the first half, that this is a bullpen that you can really rely on. And it's a bullpen that's not even completely healthy. You know, John Schreiber, arguably their best reliever last year, has barely pitched for the team. You know, he's been dealing with injuries, you know, made a rehab appearance in Worcester yesterday. So he's, you know, I think close to joining the team, but it's like, you know, you've had Chris Martin be absolutely unhittable. Kenley Jansen has been awesome, you know, rightfully deserving that spot on the all-star team. But I think, you know, the bullpen's been, I think, the best part of this team in in the first half of the year. And I think, you know, again, it's it's very hard to figure out this team because this team has done a lot of this in the first half where they lose a bunch of games, then win a bunch of games, then lose a bunch of games and win a bunch of games. And, you know, that's kind of why this team has been hovering around 500 for the majority of the season. And look, they're on a great run right now. And I think, you know, the opportunity is right there. You know, we've been saying this for, I don't know how, I don't know how many weeks on this program that this team really has an opportunity to make some noise. And I think, Coming out of the All-Star break, you have three series, nine games, 
against teams that you should beat. And I think, you know, that's kind of been the one frustrating thing about this team this year is the inability to beat bad teams. The Red Sox have been pretty good against teams that are good. You know, I don't know exactly what their record is, but I think that they're pretty good against teams that are over 500. You know, they took two out of three from Texas. You know, they swept Toronto last weekend. So clearly it's not an issue the Red Sox have had against good teams. It's the bad teams. And lo and behold, you played a bad team this weekend and you did enough to, to sweep them. And, you know, I think... If anyone's going to tell you, oh, this series doesn't matter, you swept the worst team in baseball, well, this is a team that has struggled against bad teams this year. So, you know, I think with this team being as inconsistent as it has been the entire first half, you're going to take any series win you can get. Um, And I think, you know, you hope that they can get back from the All-Star break, they can get these guys back healthy, you know, get Schreiber back, get Tanner Houck, Garrett Whitlock, you know, Trevor Story, Chris Sale, you know, can you get all these guys back? Can you get them back in a timely manner so that you feel like you can make a push for the postseason? It's not out of the question. This is a team that's two games out of a postseason spot. And yes, there are multiple teams that they have to, get by Toronto and the Yankees and the Houston Astros. All those teams are very good. But, you know, I think this team having some momentum going going into the All-Star break is huge. Um, I think being able to sweep Oakland, being able to get that win yesterday in which you were down 3-1 to one, um, just gives you some confidence. And I think that this team needs to have confidence, you know, going into the break and feeling like they can continue to play good baseball. But I do think, you know, this is exactly what this team has done all year, that they make you feel good, they win six out of seven, eight out of nine, whatever it is, and then they come back and drop four or five in a row. So, you know, really this, to me, I think this nine-game stretch coming out of the All-Star break is massive. You know, I said last week, you know, coming into the All-Star break, okay, for the Red Sox to be in a good, be in good shape, they need to win five or six of these next games. They won five. I think for the Red Sox to build off of the strong finish to the first half, they need to win at least six or seven of these next nine. Three against Chicago Cubs, three against Oakland again, three against the Mets. If the Red Sox can win six or seven of those games, it puts you at 54 and 47, 55 and 46. Puts you in a pretty good spot, and I think should signal if they're able to win, you know, those amounts of games, then I think it's very clear that they should be buyers of the trade deadline. Um, and I know that we talked about this like two weeks ago, that maybe they do need to be sellers. But if they're going to be playing this well, they absolutely do need to be buyers. And so I think there need to be full measures. There can't be these half measures like you did last year. Now, you know, granted, this team wasn't exactly in a playoff spot a year ago. But I think, you know, they have to be very smart 
about how they approach the deadline. I do think that they could still trade a couple guys. There are some guys that I think it's kind of polarizing whether they should keep or not, but I think clearly if they are, you know, in a wild card spot or are close to it, James Paxton needs to stay here. Um, and I think I definitely was on the train of, you know, you have to trade him if you're not in a good spot, but if you are, you need to keep him because he's been your, I think, you know, outside of Bayo, he's been your best starter recently. So I think you have to kind of keep him, I think. Um, but I do think either direction, you know, there's a good chance Kike Hernandez could go. I think there's a good chance Adam Duvall could go. It was great to see him get a home run yesterday, but I think, you know, the Red Sox need Jaron Duran to play every game he possibly can. Yes, I know he didn't play yesterday, but I think, you know, has some, you know, slight issues against lefties, but I think he needs to be in the lineup every game because not only, you know, I thought about this yesterday, this is not a situation where you're saying, okay, he's a young, up-and-coming guy. You need to get him games to get him experience. That's not what this situation is. This is a guy that is actively helping you win games and is actively doing things that give you a great chance to win. And so I think from that perspective, he needs to play. You know, he is making a difference for you, whether it's you know, hitting at the plate, he's been unbelievable. On the base pass, I mean, nothing more obvious than that eighth inning yesterday. If you were watching the game, hits a ground ball to short. Very, I think very clearly, was going to beat it out to first base. Shortstop bobbles it, you know, drops the ball. Was having a really tough game, you know, and kind of, you know, drops the ball, slowly goes to pick it up. And Duran, without even blinking, like goes up the first baseline and then sees the shortstop being super nonchalant. He sprints to second base and makes it in time. And it's like, that is a guy whose hustle you need to have on the field. You know, he needs to be starting, I think, every game. And so I think that could make someone like Duval expendable um, because I think Duran's got to be in the lineup. And I think... You know, Ref Snyder's done a decent job. I know that it would be, you know, kind of a big thing because I think Duvall, when he's hitting, can give you a, a can can make a difference. But Duran needs to be in the lineup, and I think, you know, he's a guy that's making a difference. So I think, you know, Kike, I'm not really sure because I think as much as he has had issues in the field. You know, Christian Arroyo, we know his injury history, and I think having someone like Kike around to be available to play second base or in the outfield, you kind of might need an extra body, but I could understand trading him because he's really not been good in any facet of the game this year. So I could understand that. Um, but I do think that this, you know, nine-game stretch out of the All-Star break is massive because I think it signals what this team is going to do. But I think they win six or seven. I think it's very clear that they need to be, you know, trying to make a postseason push. Um, because I think, you know, I, 
I don't, I don't know. I don't think there would be any reason to not make a postseason push, you know, if you're in a good spot, if you are 55 and 46, you know, after these next nine games, it's like, oh, okay, you definitely need to, you know, try to make a push. You know, I think that clearly trying to get a start, another starter uh, would be huge for this team. Um, and I think, you know, you hope that Story can make an impact offensively and defensively. And I think, you know, if he comes back, you have an idea of what he is, what he can do, that might help you decide what to do with some other guys on your roster who I think once Story comes back, you might decide that someone or another one or two players, you know, could be expendable, whether that's Kike, whether that's Duvall. Um, I think that those really are kind of the two guys that I look at that could potentially be moved. I think Duvall probably gets you more value in a trade. Um, Kind of not sure what else they could look at. You know, it doesn't hurt to get another relief pitcher, I think, but I think starting pitching-wise, that's really what this team needs. You know, as good as Bayo and Paxton have been, you really don't have any idea who those other guys are going to be, I think, with Hauk being hurt, with Whitlock being hurt, you know, and Sale still being out. So it would be kind of interesting to see how they approach it, but um, it's been really fun to watch this team over the last couple of games. You know, Duran is making such an unbelievable impact. You know, I looked at this the other day that, you know, he's appeared in 70 games for the Red Sox, 74 hits, and if I my math is correct, 34 of his 74 hits are for extra bases. That's almost half. You know, hitting 320, five homers, 33 RBIs has been, I think very clearly he's been the Red Sox best player over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Justin Turner has been really good, continues to be really, really good. You know, it's starting to look like that Martinez for Turner swap has really helped both teams. You know, JD is having a great year, but I think Turner recently has really turned it on at the plate and is starting to be, you know, probably their most consistent hitter um, outside of Yoshida. Yoshida's been great. That was just... Awesome to see him hit that home run in the eighth inning. You know, I think that clearly the guy can hit. And I think as much as we kind of didn't know what to expect, you know, from a guy coming over from Japan, it's very clear that he can hit. It's very clear that he is, I think, already one of the best hitters in baseball. And I think is the the offensive player you were expecting you were going to get are the power numbers. Are the power numbers great? Not really, but he's not exactly a power hitter. But, you know, 316, 44 RBIs has really started to figure it out at the MLB level. So it's been great to see him playing well. Um, You know, Connor Wong defensively has really done a great job. He's really, I think, one of the, you know, unsung heroes of this first half of this season um, endeavors. Devers is going to be Devers, you know, the, the average may be down, but he's still, you know, driving in runs, leads the team in RBIs, leads the team in total bases and home runs. Red Sox are not, you know, a big home run hitting team. They are a doubles machine. I think they lead the majors um, in doubles. So 
you know, the, the extra base hits are great. And I think that you hope that it continues out of the break. You know, I think that, you know, some part of me is like, oh man, I wish the All-Star break wasn't this week so we could see this team continue to, you know, continue their momentum um, and be able to continue playing well. Because I think you don't want to have a break, you know, break up the momentum. But I think on the other hand, it could be good for this team to get some rest. You know, everyone else is going to be resting over these next couple of days. You know, Jansen's the only guy that's going to be going to the All-Star game may pitch a little bit. But I think getting some rest could be big, you know, and really kind of reset this team to be like, okay, for all the issues that we had in the first half of the season, defensively, you know, starting pitching-wise, whatever, we're only two games out of a playoff spot. You know, I think that that's really looking at a glass half full that for all the issues, for all the problems, for all the whatever people are going to say, we're two games out of a playoff spot. And so I think kind of thinking about that and being like, okay, we can get back to the second half of the season, continue how we finished the first half. Uh, this is a team that I think has the potential to go on a serious run in the second half. You know, if everything breaks their way, it seemed like everything was breaking the other way in the first half of the season with, you know, games that they had lost, starting pitchers that they had lost to injuries and things like that. Maybe their luck turns around in the second half, and this is a team that surprises us and wins 90-plus games, gets into the playoffs, and makes a surprise run. Who knows? Uh, but I think it's been fun to see them playing well over the last couple of games. And yeah, say whatever you want about uh, playing bad teams and blah, blah, blah. But it's like they haven't beaten bad teams this year. You know, and by the way, the other two series that they've won recently, the AL West leading Texas Rangers and the Toronto Blue Jays were a team that the Red Sox are battling in the division, a team that, mind you, they have not lost to this season after they beat Toronto only three times last year so really good stuff you know looking forward to the second half of the year and how things go uh, the Red Sox will open the second half of the season against the Chicago Cubs will be traveling to play the Cubbies uh, Friday night and then a couple of afternoon games Saturday and Sunday on the weekend so Brian Bayo. James Paxton and uh, Cutter Crawford scheduled to pitch for those three games in Chicago. Red Sox will then travel to Oakland for three and then return home to play the New York Mets. And that will be the end of that like nine game stretch against teams that aren't too good. So, you know, really hope the Red Sox can continue the momentum. Um, only two games out of that last wild card spot. They are a game behind. Uh, so it's Toronto, it's Toronto that they're chasing and wildcard chasing also in the division. So two games out of the wildcard spot, but then two games back of third place Toronto in the division. So, you know, nine games behind Tampa. It's not as insurmountable as it used to be. Uh, Tampa Bay has had some, had some losses recently. I think they've recently lost like six or seven in a row, so they're no longer the best record in the league. We'll take a look at the standings uh, later in the program. I don't think there was 
any other oh that's that's right uh, the MLB draft uh, got underway last night the Red Sox taking Virginia catcher Kyle Teal with the 14th overall pick had a very good offensive season at Virginia mostly plays catcher I think also plays some second base you know really don't know that much more about him other than had a good offensive season plays catcher second base uh, you know curious to see where he starts in minor league baseball um, so obviously draft started last night it will be continuing on um, the rest of the weekend so i think that's going to do it we're going to move on talk a little bit about the celtics played a couple of summer league games they have lost both and yes the sky is falling uh, no i'm just kidding uh, a couple losses for the Celtics um, against the Heat and the Wizards. Summer League squads, they lost last night to the Wizards. And then Saturday against the Heat. A couple of Celtics um, playing in the Summer League that you might see this season. Uh, J.D. Davison uh, just recently, yesterday, signed a, a two-way deal for the Celtics for next season. Um, has played in both summer league games. Jordan Walsh, second round pick, has also played in both games. Had a really good first game. Didn't shoot as well yesterday. Um, but I think just getting him, just getting some games under him, I think is going to be important. Um, I think was four for six shooting threes, uh, one for six yesterday. Um, but great athleticism, I think as a lot of people have said, really is starting at an NBA level in terms of his defense. Um, has great length, I think, can guard multiple positions. And I think, you know, no one is going to replace Marcus Smart. We all know that. Um, but I think he gives you someone that is going to play a similar style to Marcus, playing very hard, you know, doing whatever it takes, diving for loose balls, you know, battling for jump balls and things like that. Um, really excited to see what he can do um, at the NBA level. He did sign his rookie contract, I think four years, $7.6 million. So I think that that might be an indicator that he will be on the NBA roster to start the season. May not be a two-way deal, which I think makes sense. You know, I think defensively already at a great spot. You know, offensively, hopefully the three-point shooting percentage gets a little bit higher. Um, I do think that, you know, kind of, you think about the way Derek White worked on his shot in the offseason last summer, and I think was way more confident in his ability to shoot this past season. Curious to see if Jordan Walsh, the coaching staff, has that sort of effect on him. You know, not saying that they want him to be so confident that he's taking eight threes a game. I don't think anything like that, but I think having the confidence to shoot wide open shots when he gets those opportunities, you know, he was, I think was, was interviewed after the first, it was either before or after the first summer league game um, when he was saying that there was a, a practice that he had gone through and had had an open look and passed it up and everyone on the sideline is, you know, shouting and yelling, you know, oh, you got to take that shot. You know, don't pass it up. So I think giving him the confidence that 
you know, when you're open, you can shoot. No, it's not to say that he has to shoot the ball every single time he's open. Um, but I think just having the confidence that if you're going to take it, you're going to make it. You know, obviously you're not going to make it every single time. But I think just having that confidence to take the shot and, you know, hopefully develop a little bit more of his offensive game. He's really athletic. He's a good dunker. So I think, you know, maybe there's a little bit of a transition game for him, you know, if you watch some of his highlights at Arkansas or in high school. So, you know, I think you hope that the offense comes along, but I think that he's already starting at a really high level defensively. And I think you're not going to have to worry about him defensively. You know, his effort, his, you know, want to guard really good players. I don't think you're going to have to be too concerned about him. Um, I think as far as Davison, you know, I think clearly still has some developing to do, you know, does have great athleticism, does have great speed in the open floor, um, but I think does, you know, have some turnover issues. I think had 10 or 11 turnovers in the summer league game yesterday. Um, but I think hopefully, you know, continuing to emphasize the good, which I think is what Tony Dobbins, a uh, Celtics assistant who's coaching the team, you know, had some of that to say after the game yesterday, you know, that the turnovers are going to happen, but they want him to, you know, feel confident in the good things that he's doing. So, you know, I'm curious to see his progress this season. If he gets into some games, you know, with the two-way deal, he'll probably most likely be playing more in Maine again this season. But, you know, curious to see if there's, you know, any, any consistent minutes for him. Guess I'd be surprised. I think with the Celtics likely going into the season with the three guard, three like point guard rotation of White, Brogdon, and Peyton Pritchard, you know, assuming that they don't try to move Brogdon, you know, it could happen. But I think that, you know, kind of thinking over to moving over to the current roster, you know, giving more opportunities uh, for Peyton Pritchard, I think will be really important. So, you know, as far as the Celtics offseason moves, you know, clearly uh, Celtics made a trade this past week, uh, a sign-in trade with the Dallas Mavericks, moving Grant Williams to the Mavericks. He then signed a four-year, $53 million deal with the Mavericks. You know, I think that looking at that price, people may be surprised that the Celtics you know, didn't choose to match it because I think, you know, it's it's really not that much money, but I do think that it becomes an issue with the second uh, apron, with the, you know, second tax apron, which basically means if you exceed that, you lose, you know, uh, ways to kind of improve your roster. Um, if I can kind of just put it simply. Um, and so I think it may have confused people. I think with the way that Brad Stevens said that they were willing, you know, to, you know, spend as much as they need. I think my thought on this is the Celtics were not willing to go into the second apron or past the second apron with a player like Grant Williams with a player who basically amounts to being your eighth or ninth guy on your roster and a guy that, 
you know, fair or not fair, didn't get a lot of looks in the playoffs last year and, and, and maybe down the stretch, you know. I think it's more at playoffs because it was funny. I looked at his games played last season compared to the year before. He actually played more games last year than he did the year before. He played more minutes last year than he did the year before in the regular season. Now in the playoffs, that was a different story. His minutes were down. I think, you know, if he averaged 27 minutes a game in the playoffs last year, it was down to 17 minutes a game this year. So, you know, I think, again, I think for the Celtics, if if they were going to spend past that second apron, it, it's not going to be for a player like Grant Williams. I think if they were to acquire another, you know, larger contract, say, for example, you know, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi from Toronto, they probably would be okay going past the apron for a guy like that. I just think for Grant Williams, for a guy that's not, you know, a part of your rotation but isn't a, you know, big-time starter, it doesn't make sense to go past that, you know, tax apron with a guy like that who, you know, is basically going to be, what, your second big off the bench, you know. So Celtics get a couple second-round picks in the trade, um, you know, get a trade exception, you know, not really sure if that's going to amount to anything. Um, and so I think, you know, it's, it's, I think from a basketball perspective, thinking about the things that Grant can do well, you know, it's, it's hard for me to trade a player like Grant because he has the ability to match up defensively against a couple of superstar players that he was able to do well in the playoffs when he played. He can shoot threes and shoot them in a pretty high clip. Um, you know, sure, does have the issues with trying to do too much offensively and things like that. Um, but I think, you know, considering the addition of Porzingis, now your, your three bigs are, you know, or top three bigs, Porzingis, Horford, and... Rob Williams grant essentially amounts to your fourth big. And it just is like going over the tax line for a guy like that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Um, so I think, you know, it's a decision. It kind of remains to be seen whether it's going to be a good one or not. You know, but I do think that you look at some of the additions the Celtics have made, they're emphasizing length on defense. You know, with Walsh, with signing O'Shea Brissett, I think was signing uh, Banton from the Raptors last week. You know, may not be a guy that plays a lot of minutes, but, you know, is a 6-7 point guard. So, you know, I don't know if there's anything else major that the Celtics are going to do. You know, could they bring back Blake Griffin? I think that's possible. Could they bring in someone like Javante Green? Could they bring in someone like... Sadiq Bey, you know, that might be a little bit of a pipe dream, but I think, you know, he could fit in the trade exception, be another scorer on the wing. But I think, you know, it's it's a tough move basketball-wise. I think that it's, you know, I personally would have liked to keep Grant, but I think for that money, 
maybe it doesn't make sense if they're going to go into the tax apron. You know, does it make sense to do it for a player like Grant Williams? And I think that that's kind of what the trade comes down to is he's your fourth big off the bench. Are you willing to go past the apron and face some of these salary cap penalties for your fourth big off the bench? And I think that that's kind of what it came down to. Is the return great? No, not really. Could it be part of a larger trade at some point? You know, totally. But I think, you know, the the the, the group that they have on this roster is the group that they're probably going to ride with, you know, unless there's some major trade in the works. But I think the biggest thing for them this offseason is Jalen Brown's extension, getting him locked in. And, you know, I think really having this be him and Jason's team, you know, that they're really going to need to step up in the leadership role. And I think that's going to be the biggest question for this team this season is Marcus Smart isn't here. Grant Williams isn't here, isn't here. You know, your two stars need to be your alpha dogs. You know, you hope that they're up to it, you know, and so we'll kind of just find out. So I think... Now, there wasn't any more Celtics news. You can continue to watch uh, the Summer League. Celtics' next Summer League game is... Take a quick look at the schedule. It is Wednesday night. Celtics will play the Lakers' Summer League team at 10 p.m. on ESPN. And then they will play again on Friday, 7 o'clock, against the Knicks' Summer League team on ESPN2, so you can catch both of those games on the ESPN family of networks. So I think that's going to do it. We're going to move over to the Bruins. Uh, had a really uh, fun experience going out to a development camp on Friday. Got to see some scrimmages, uh, some three-on-three scrimmages, a full ice scrimmage, um, and was also uh, happy to run into a friend of the program, Evan Marinovsky. So we uh, watched a good bit of the full ice scrimmage. Great to talk to Evan, hoping to get him on the podcast um, at some point as we approach the Bruins season. So that was uh, really fun to just to get to visit, talk a little bit about uh, some of the guys that we had noticed. Um, so I think, you know, my big takeaways uh, really were, you know, focusing on the two top prospects. You know, Mason Lowry, Fabian Lysel, and just, you know, getting an opportunity to look at both of those guys. Now, uh, Lowry had been at development camp maybe a couple of years ago. He didn't participate last summer, uh, but maybe was there after he got drafted. Uh, this was my first time being able to see uh, Lysel in person. And I think for him specifically, his speed and his skill jumps out to you immediately. You know, it was so funny watching the three-on-three scrimmages where, you know, the ice was divided up, where there were three-on-three games going on in each offensive zone. And so, you know, you're playing on on, on, on a third of, of an ice sheet, and even then you could notice Lysel's speed and skill. Um, and I think it gets you excited seeing a guy like that um, and seeing some of the things that he can do. Um, And I think, you know, hopefully with a little bit more seasoning, 
perhaps he gets you know, into some games and maybe some meaningful games with the Bruins this season. Uh, perhaps, you know, midway point of the season, kind of like David Pasternak, uh, that he, when he came in, he broke in, you know, in like a January January or February game um, and scored a couple of goals. And I'm not saying that Lysel is going to do that, but I think that that's an opportunity. You know, could he get into a game toward the end of the season when the Bruins are trying to, you know, get a look at some of their young guys? Um, he'll definitely get into some preseason games for sure. Um, but I do think that there are, there are areas to grow. You know, I think having to, you know, recover from that concussion that he suffered in the playoffs in the AHL was tough. And I think, you know, something that he's going to have to get used to is, you know, withstanding punishment like that, you know. And so I think having another season in the AHL, I think would really help him out. You know, I think that, one of the things that Evan was noting is watching Lysel without the puck, you know, sometimes can be a little bit nonchalant, can be a little bit, you know, puck watching. Uh, but I think it's just clear when he has the puck on his stick. He's a really, really talented uh, young guy that I think really in the right situation could really make some noise in Boston, uh, even within the next year or so. Um, so I think really excited for him, you know, Lorai, I think is a guy that legitimately I could see playing in the NHL. Um, I think if he has a good training camp, he has a good preseason, there's a legitimate chance that he could be in the starting lineup on opening night against Chicago. I really do think that, um, just his skating has improved so much over the last couple of years is a guy that has really good offensive instincts. And I think you know, one day could be a guy that could run a power play. So I do really think that putting him next to a guy like Kevin Shattenkirk to start the season could be huge. Um, I think Shattenkirk's a guy that's well-traveled. He's been a pretty good player everywhere he's gone. And I think, you know, being 34 years old could kind of be a little bit of a mentor to a guy like Lowry, who I think has a, a fairly high ceiling at least in my opinion. So really excited to see those two guys. Um, you know, Evan in particular was noting how some of the defensemen had really good weeks. Ryan Mast, Frederick Brunet, um, a couple guys that he had mentioned that had had good weeks. Um, so I think uh, just good to get over there to see some of these guys. And, you know, I think watching these practices, you do kind of have to remember that, okay, not every single one of these guys is going to make it to the NHL. You know, very possible that, you know, majority of those guys skating don't really, don't ever make it to the NHL or don't really make, you know, an impact. But I think it seemed like it, it was a pretty good week um, of, of practices. It was great to get out there on Friday to see some of the scrimmages. So, you know, I think those two guys in particular, Lowry and Lysel, I think have a legit opportunity uh, to make the NHL roster this season at some point. You know, I think Lowry seriously could make the team out of training camp. I don't think that that's crazy uh, because I do think, you know, I think as much as Derek Forbert, I think does have a little bit of value um, in his penalty killing skills. I think the Bruins are really hoping that 
Lowry or possibly even Zaboral could play really well in camp and push him out of a job. Um, you know, and not not saying that in a negative way, but I think really hoping that one of those young guys could really take a spot and grab it. And I think before we move on, there was one other thing I wanted to mention about development camp. It did seem like a number of these guys in camp had really good, really high confidence um, in their abilities and not anything that ventured into being cocky or full of themselves. But I think Lowry in particular, Matthew Potra as well, you know, mentioned something about, you know, setting a goal to try to make a roster and really, you know, maybe setting lofty goals for themselves. But I think that that is a sign of, it's a good sign that these guys have great confidence in themselves and really believe that they can make an impact. And I think that that's really the biggest thing. You know, if you believe that you can do something, you know, you're going to continue to work at it and work hard at it. And I really liked, you know, to hear that. So I think, you know, Potter, I think, may take a little bit more time to make it to uh, the NHL. But I do think Lowry could possibly be um, NHL ready, you know, if he's able to have a good training camp and a good preseason. Um, and, yeah, you could see him lining up on that blue line to start the game, uh, start the home opener against Chicago. Uh, the Bruins also revealing some jersey numbers today. Uh, Jane, James Van Riemsdyk will wear 21. Kevin Shagkirk will, will wear 12. Patrick Brown, 38. Morgan Geeky, 39. And Milan Lucic gets number 17. I don't think that was much of a surprise to anyone, but uh, really excited to have him back. You know, I know that there are some people that may not be a fan of it, but I think even just from a, you know, locker room mentor type of thing, I think it can only be good for some of these guys, these young guys that are trying to make the roster that, you know, He's very, a very good locker room guy. I think he's always been a well-respected guy in Boston, even after he hasn't been here for so, for so long. But I think being able to help with some of these young guys is going to be huge. You know, helping them get used to the NHL, get used to playing in Boston. Um, I think that it's going to be a good addition. Now, I don't expect him to score 15 goals or anything like that, but I think could be a little bit of a rejuvenation here. And I think kind of hoping the same for someone like Van Riemsdyk and Shattenkirk, um, who I think put in the right position, could have some pretty decent seasons uh, for the Bruins. So I think, you know, the only other Bruins tidbits, Trent Frederick and Jeremy Swayman filed for arbitration. Bruins don't have a history, at least under Sweeney, of going to arbitration. So pretty good chance that I think both of them sign uh, before their hearings come up and then you know, we'll see what kind of cap space the Bruins have. You know, Frederick, I think possible you could see him make a little over $2 million. Swayman, I really don't have any idea. Could he make 3 or $4 million? I think that's possible. But the Bruins with only $6.2 million left in cap space, you know, I think might have to be a little bit, might have to do some salary cap gymnastics to make it work and then leave any space if, you know, Bergeron and or Krejci want to want to return. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, 
could be guys that you could bring in on a professional tryout. You know, it is kind of surprising that there are some guys that are still, you know, unsigned, but could be interesting to see if, you know, those guys linger on closer to training camp. Do the Bruins bring, you know, someone in to just see what they can do? Um, so I think that's probably going to do it for the Bruins. Going to get to a little bit about the revolution. Um, if you are interested in watching uh, the Gold Cup, Team USA, the men's team, is participating in that. Beat Canada in a uh, pulsating uh, shootout win last night. Matt Turner and Dewan Jones had their fingerprints all over this game. Uh, Turner made a couple saves in the shootout. Dewan Jones set up a goal uh, in the second half. So Revs, former Revs, having their fingerprints all over Team USA's quarterfinal win last night. So that was really good to see. Dewan Jones had a beautiful um, assist on a goal in the second half. And Turner stopping two penalty kicks as Team USA beats Canada. So we'll get into the revolution. Revs with a frustrating uh, 2-1 loss against the Red Bulls this past weekend. Um, couple of second-half goals for the Red Bulls, scoring the winner in the 85th minute. Andrew Farrell looked like he had the uh, equalizer in the, 91st, in the 93rd minute in stoppage time, but the goal was waved off when it was determined that uh, Rioni had interfered with Red Bulls, the Red Bulls goalkeeper while in an offside position. So I think there was some, you know, a little controversy with that as it was kind of unclear whether uh, Rioni was in fact in the way of the goalie, but goal gets taken off the board and the Reds lose 2-1 to one, their first loss in, I think, seven or eight games. Brandon By had the goal for the Revs in the second half. Revolution played with 10 guys after Latif Blessing was shown a red card in the 60th minute. So the Revolution dropping their first game in quite a while, which, you know, kind of, you know, I don't want to say shocking, but kind of wild just to see them lose because they really had not lost in a very long time. And so, you know, it was kind of strange to not see them get at least a point, you know, tough to play on the road um, against a team like New York, a team that doesn't really have a lot going for them. But, you know, I think anytime you bring in a third place team in the conference, you're going to play up to them. So Red Bulls get the win. And the Revs uh, actually stayed in third despite the loss. They're just one point ahead of Columbus and two points ahead of Atlanta, who they will play on Wednesday. Revs have a midweek game this week against Atlanta United, and then they will return. Actually, both games this week are at home against Atlanta United and then against D.C. United. I'm going to be lucky enough to go on a Saturday night to go see the Revs play D.C., so that will be... Very exciting. Looking forward to go and seeing that with some friends, uh, including friend of the program, John Feniziano. So we're both looking forward to that game this weekend. So, you know, you hope the Revs can get back on track. It's good to see Brandon Bay get on the score sheet for his uh, second goal of the season. 
Gustavo Bo did start this game again. It's been good to see him starting over the last couple of weeks, you know, being healthy, getting into some games, because um, that was definitely definitely an issue at times last season. Uh, but he's played in majority of the last couple of games, which has been good to see. The Revolution also making some additions. Ian Harks came over from Scotland, and then I do think that there was someone else they brought in from Gustavo Bo's old club, a racing club in Argentina. I'm not going to remember the player's name off the top of my head. Let's see if I can find that somewhere. Um, but the Revolution making some additions to the team. And then speaking of additions, uh, Gustavo, or excuse me, Carlos Eel finally added to the MLS All-Star Game squad. George Petrovic will also be there as well for the All-Star Game on July 19th as the MLS All-Stars will take on Arsenal um, July 19th again. So Carlos Eel, George Petrovic on that roster. So good honor for both of them. And the Revolution hopefully get back on track this week against Atlanta. It will be a tough, tough game. And then DC United, I think, has been playing better as of late. So two pretty good matchups for the Revs this week. So I think that's going to do it. We're going to talk a little bit about the Patriots. It's not really any new information, you know, unless you're paying close attention to the DeAndre Hopkins uh news or whatever, you know, I guess it was reported yesterday that the Titans are, I guess, the most aggressive in pursuit of DeAndre Hopkins. I don't really know what that means, to be fair. You know, Mike Reese did report it. Um, and so I don't exactly know what that means, um, you know, specifically, you know, other than maybe they really want him. You know, it makes sense. I mean, I think Tennessee should be pretty desperate. You know, there's really not a whole lot that they have uh, going for them offensively in terms of who they who they have on the roster. Um, just take a quick look at what their depth chart looks like at the moment. But, you know, that's a team that could challenge for a playoff spot. Um, but I think looking at who they have offensively, you know, Derrick Henry obviously is, is very good. That's not... Yeah, it's kind of an understatement, but I think looking at the receivers that they have, you know, Traylon Burks, their first round pick um, in 2022, had 33 receptions last season. Nick Westbrook-Akine also on depth chart. You know, that's a team that I think it makes sense that they're more aggressive with Hawkins because they think they are kind of more desperate for receivers. Um, it's not to say that the Patriots aren't also, I think, desperate, but I think that the receivers that they have, most of them are proven commodities at this point. You know, I think Bourne, Parker, and Juju Smith-Schuster, you know, they're not elite receivers, I wouldn't say, but I think... The Patriots wide receiver core is in better shape than what the Titans is. You know, as much as people want to say, oh, the Patriots 
you know, don't have playmakers or whatever, but it's like, I think for the Patriots' pursuit of Hopkins, I think having a good visit, you know, having a contract offer on the table, you know, is kind of what you would expect. You know, I think that at the end of the day, you know, Hopkins' decision to play for whichever team he wants to is his decision. And I think, you know, I think either way, people are going to make a stink about Hopkins coming to the Patriots or not. If he doesn't come, the Patriots aren't willing to spend money to improve their roster. Um, if he does turn, if he does come to the team, oh, he's over the hill. He's, you know, injury prone. He doesn't practice. So it's just either way, get ready for people to be, you know, very vocal in their displeasure of either thing happening. Um, but as I've said plenty of times, DeAndre Hopkins to me is not the difference between this team like being what it was last year and being a playoff team. I think that they already have a pretty good group of offensive players that even if they don't bring in Hopkins, they very well could still make the playoffs. So I don't think it hinges on that. I think a lot of people are like hinging on that and thinking that they need to get him and so they need to be more aggressive. But, you know, I just think you have a guy in for a visit, you give him an offer, and he takes it or not. You know, I think he's being patient. He's doing, I guess, the smart thing. I mean, me personally, I don't know if it's the smart thing to wait and see what other offers materialize. But, you know, I think if the Patriots aren't the most aggressive, that's not something that really, you know, upsets me. Because I think they probably think that, okay, we're in pretty good shape offensively. Um, you know, I think the one concern, and I think should be everyone's concern, is the offensive line. Doesn't matter what, you know, star players you may or may not bring in. If you can't protect the quarterback, none of it matters. And so I think if you want to sit here and tell me that their, you know, Achilles heel is no playmakers or whatever nonsense you want to say, you know, I guess, but the offensive line is, to me, I think is what is going to make the difference this year. If this is a solid offensive line that can protect the quarterback, Mac Jones isn't running for his life the entire time, they're probably making the playoffs. If they can't protect the quarterback, then you're looking at probably a repeat of last year. You know, God forbid there's an injury to Mac Jones, and you have to rely on guys that I think Personally, I don't have a lot of confidence in, you know, Zappy did well last season, I guess, but it's like, it's hard to know whether that was just kind of, I don't want to say beginner's luck because that's disrespectful, but, you know, how much could you really read into that? Um, and so I think, you know, the offensive line, I think is going to make or break this team this year. I don't think it's DeAndre Hopkins or Dalvin Cook or whoever other superstar player you want to bring in that you think is going to make this team, you know, uh, more of a contender. You know, it's that group of offensive line, I think particularly the tackle spots. You know, Trent Brown, I think, really is 
you know, I don't want to go as far as to say the X factor, but he's a guy that I think really needs to come into camp motivated and ready to go. Um, because I think at his best, you know, he's a really good offensive lineman that I think really makes the difference in terms of having a decent offensive line to having a quality offensive line. Um, because I think the rest of the line is in pretty good shape. You know, the interior, I think, with Andrews, Owenu, and Cole Strange is a pretty good interior. And then, you know, if you have Riley Reef, Connor McDermott, whoever else on that right side, you know, Trent Brown on the left, you're in pretty good shape. So, you know, I think offensive line is the, the biggest key for this team. Uh, and for them to be successful this year, the line needs to hold up. So I think that's probably it. You know, we talked about the opening to training camp. There'll be days open to the public in two weeks, starting Wednesday the 26th. Patriots have their first preseason game August 10th against the Houston Texans. And then I think they're playing their next game against Green Bay. I think it's Green Bay and then Tennessee are their three opponents in the preseason. Um, so we'll definitely, you know, give you like a training camp preview, hopefully with a guest Friday at some point. Um, but we are getting closer to training camp, believe it or not. So be interesting to see if there's any movement on Hopkins, perhaps, you know, Cook. But I think, you know, it's, I don't think the success of the season hinges on, you know, either of those things. So I think, you know, it's, it's mine. It's the line. I don't want to continue to beat a dead horse, but it's just like, I think it just frustrates me that some people are like, oh, they don't have enough weapons. That's the problem with this team. And it's like, that is just, I don't think that that's true. So uh, I'm just going to move on before I drive myself insane. Uh, we're going to talk a little uh, MLB, take a look at the standings as uh, the All-Star break is underway. Home Run Derby is tonight, if you're interested in that. Um, I think we took a look at the field last week, but we'll just give you a recap. So Julio Rodriguez will participate in Seattle in his home home park. Vlad Guerrero Jr., Mookie Betts, Randy Rosarena, Pete Alonzo, Adley Rutschman, Luis Robert, Adoles Garcia will be the eight guys participating tonight. So that will be interesting to watch. The Yankees are firing their hitting coach as they stumble into the All-Star break. And Max Fried, the Braves, uh, one of the Braves uh, pitching studs, uh, makes a rehab start after being out since May. So we'll take a look at the standings. Obviously, the All-Star game is Tuesday night. So here, take a look at the standings. The Tampa Bay Rays really struggled recently. Only three wins in their last ten. Baltimore has won five straight. They are just two games back of first place in the AL East. Red Sox in last, but just a game back of the Yankees for fourth, two games behind Toronto for third. Cleveland first in the AL Central with a half-game lead over the Twins. 
They are 45 and 45. In the AL West, the Rangers lead the division by two games. They are 52 and 39. Astros two games back at 50 and 41. The Atlanta Braves, been the hottest team in baseball. Um, they finished the first half of the year. The best team, or with the best record, 60 and 29, an eight and a half game lead over the Marlins for first place. In the AL Central, the Reds lead the division by a game over the Brewers. And in the West, the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks even atop the AL West with the Giants two and a half games back of first. So now the wild card standings. Baltimore with that first spot followed by Toronto. And Houston, the Yankees, one game back. Red Sox, two games back. Seattle is four games back. And then the Angels and the Twins, both five back. In the National League, the Marlins, the Diamondbacks, and the Giants in the top three positions with Philadelphia and Milwaukee just a half game back. So we'll take a quick look at some NBA notes. Summer League in full swing. Victor Wembenyama had Wembenyama, Wembenyama with 27 points for the Spurs last night. In the Summer League, the 76ers matching an offer sheet to retain Paul Reed as he had signed one with the Jazz the other day. So he will return. The Bucks bringing back Jay Crowder and the Spurs giving Greg Popovich a new five-year deal worth up to $80 million. So, you know, kind of some people thought maybe he was on his way out, but no, he'll, he'll be there in San Antonio for uh, the foreseeable future. Let me take a look at some summer league games tonight. Memphis and Cleveland at 6. Philadelphia and Dallas at 8. Sacramento, L.A. Clippers at 10.30. couple games on the schedule if you're interested in that. So we're going to take a look at some NHL headlines. A trade between the Red Wings and the Senators yesterday. Alex Dabrinkit goes to Detroit and then signs a four-year, $31.5 million contract. I think a good get. For Detroit, Ottawa getting a couple draft picks. Dominic Kubelik, so good addition for the Red Wings. We'll see what that does to their team this year. Um, and in, so including Swayman and Frederick, 22 players filing for salary arbitration. So also wanted to take a look at some free agents that are still yet to be signed. Matt Dumba from the Wild. Uh, Patrick Kane from the Rangers, Tarasenko also from the Rangers, uh, Jonathan Taves, Paul Stastny, a lot of guys who are on the older side, uh, Yara Halak played for the Rangers last year, former Bruins backup, Martin Jones, Bruins legend, <laughs> just kidding, he was on the Bruins for about a couple days, and then got traded in the summer of 2016, 2015? whatever summer that was. Uh, but yeah, so those are a couple free agents still on the market for any NHL teams. Be surprised if the Bruins take a look at any of those guys, just considering the salary cap uh, issues that they have. Uh, Bergeron and Krejci are on this list, but can't imagine they're playing for any other team other than the Bruins. But 
I guess I guess you never know. Um, so, not really any any NFL notes here. Just one note that I thought was interesting: Mark Ingram, former Saints running back, will join Fox as an analyst for this upcoming season. So I think that's probably going to do it for me. Um, hope to get a guest Friday out to you folks uh, later this week. So you keep, we will keep you updated on that. Um, and then if not, you know, we'll see you next week. Everyone enjoy the rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon.